Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about, all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Professor Selena Wong, where I ask her, how did olive oil become the complex, stunning, multidimensional creature that they are today? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I am so excited for this week's topic. The it is olive oil. The who is Dr. Selena Wong, who is an associate professor at UC Davis in the Department of Food Science and Technology. Between 2011 and 2022, Dr. Wong was the research director of the UC Davis Olive Center. Welcome. How are you, Dr. Wong? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. My students are so excited. So thank you for helping me to increase my coolness factor. <laughs> oh my gosh. Honey, I can tell from even just the Zoom with your cool glasses, your coolness factor was already soaring. And with your scholarship, it like qualifies that point by like 50 fold. Look at me using like research terms qualifying. <laughs> um, okay, but wait. Hard-hitting journalistic question number one. What is olive oil? It's a great question. And it's a really confusing thing for the consumers, right? I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to the grocery store, standing in front of the aisle of oil, and I see people just stand there and look at all the options. And it's very confusing. There's extra virgin olive oil. There's mm. pure olive oil. There is extra light olive oil. And this is just the olive oil category, right? There's other edible oil categories. But in the U.S., most of the consumers are interested in extra virgin olive oil, which is technically fruit juice coming out of the olive fruit. What? Yeah. So if you think about making orange juice, you take oranges, you squeeze it, and the juice come out. It's basically the same way to make extra virgin olive oil. You take fresh olives, you basically crush them and then press them, and then the oil will come out, and that's olive oil. There's no heat added, no chemical added during this process. That is extra virgin olive oil. And that is different from pure olive oil you buy in the store that is refined. That is also different from the extra light olive oil you buy, which is also refined. And some consumer will confuse extra light olive oil with lower calorie oil. But in reality, they're all the same. It's just the processing is different. Yeah, so have you ever tasted olive oil? Now I'm interviewing you. Yeah, no, please, no, turn the tables. Yes, and the thing is, I really like it, and I, don't be sad at me, but I, 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 um, I, I hate olives. I'll say it, okay? I hate them. I, I hate the taste. It repulses me to my last fiber of my being. If, if a chopped up olive even touches my shit, I, Get this, like, if it's chopped up in my pasta, oh, my God. I Or my pizza, like, oh, my God. I get so upset. I, I don't really, but I just, green ones, brown ones, black ones, pimento, whatever. There is no olive I like yet with olive oil. Give it to me. I'm going to dip my bread in it. I'm going to pour it all over stuff. I love it on a salad. I love olive oil. I hate an olive. Do you know why that might be? I think it's like the mushy, icky texture of them. Because I, I, maybe I do like the taste of olives since I like the olive oil. It's just like that. It's like the ball and it's like filled with something and it's like squishy. And I just don't fucking like it at all. And I've tried. I try it every few years. And I, every time I'm devastated that I tried it again. I've talked to several people like you. And, and there could be another reason other than texture is that... When you make olive oil, you should start with fresh olives. So like fresh fruit. And when you eat olives, the olives you eat, they're often fermented. So they have a very different flavor profile compared to olive oil. So I might like fresh olives is what you're saying? You will not because oh. it's very, very bitter. 
So oh. no one, no one likes fresh olives. Oh, so so that's why they need to get fermented, and then during the fermentation process, the bitterness is removed, and then that's why we can eat them. Oh, it's replaced with the taste of of shit. They take the bitterness yes. out, and then they yes. put the shit in there, and then, but then when it becomes an oil, it's delicious. Well, so if you just taste the oil by itself. I wish we could oh. do a sensory experiment together. But if you taste, if you just don't pair your oil with food, if you just take, put them the oil into a little cup and you drink it. Would I not like it? It's worth a try. But I will tell you the three things you should be looking for. Pour some oil into a cup and cover up the top and then trap the volatiles in there and then put your nose in there and then smell it. You should smell some grassiness and fruitiness if it's a fresh olive oil. And when you take a sip, when you drink it, when you swallow, you should feel a burning in the back oh. of your throat. That's a, from a chemical compound called oleocanthal that has a similar health property as ibuprofen. So it can act as a painkiller. And then you should also feel some bitterness in your mouth, kind of like a leafy green kind of bitterness or green tea or chocolate. And these bitterness, they are the natural antioxidant and phenolics that are really, really great for you. And then you can taste them. So three different Ah. things you're looking for. Fruitiness, bitterness, and pungency. And bitterness and pungency can be a little bit of acquired taste, right? So for example, when we start drinking coffee, rarely we go straight to black coffee. But I did. did? So why don't I like olives? Yeah, my mom had a, she had a, and I'm drinking coffee right now. My mom had like a canteen of black ass coffee when I was like two, I was a literally toddler. And she said, and I was like, can I try it? And she said, you won't like it. And then she said, she turned around and I, and I turned around and I got it. And I, and then I was like chugging it. I... So it's not, I do like bitter. I just, I want to like, and looking at your face is so devastating to tell you that I don't like olives because I love, but I love That's olive oil. I'm, but I want to, I, because you obviously, you must like, you like an olive, huh? I do, but I really, I, I don't judge people. So that must be how people think when their hair doesn't look good. And they're like, oh my God, I was so scared that my hair didn't look cute. And you're like, I don't care. It's, I yes, love, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So then what's your favorite kind of olive? Because there's green and black, right? Yeah, they have different fermentation process. I do like the green ones. I I like the ones that have some more flavor. So where not all the bitterness and the fruitiness are removed from fermentation or are lost. I have 18 questions really quick. I have to ask you, what, what the, the, why are they different? How do you get a green one? So all green and black olives started being like olives off a bush, but then they went through a different process, so they turned different colors. Yeah. And is olive oil ever made from black olives and green olives, or is it all green olives? So depending on who you are talking to, if you want to make olive oil that are really high in antioxidants and the phenolics, you need to start with greenish olives if they are black if they are basically dark purple they the olives go from green to greenish purple purple and to really deep purple that's that's the same for all cultivars but if you make olive oil from really purple fruit it's going to have less antioxidants less phenolics but the oil yield will be higher. You can make more oil oh, yeah, out, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. out of those fruits. Is that because they're bigger and like more adult? The like purplish and darker purple and when they're more greenish, they're like not as big yet. So there's just not as much oil in there. Yeah. So the oil accumulation, uh, when, when the olives are still attached to the trees, they, they, they will keep growing as the olives become more matured and then the color go from green to dark. So, so that, that, that's, that's important, right? If, if depending on the, um, the producer, if your goal is to make really high phenolic oil, then you want to harvest earlier. If your goal is to make as much oil as you want and care less about the, the phenolics, then you can harvest later in the season. 
Interest. Okay. And then is the, so is the process of making the oil from them different itself or it's just different because of the age of the olives? Yeah. So, so if you ask a farmer, what's, what's the most important thing to make really good quality extra virgin olive oil, they will say it's the fruit. And if you ask a processor, what is the most important thing to make high quality extra virgin olive oil? They would say it's the processing. And I will tell you, it's both the fruit and the processing. To make really high quality extra virgin olive oil, you need to start with good fruit, which require a lot of care from the farming side. But you also need to process in, 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 a, in a way that will maximize health benefits and quality. And that includes getting the fruit to the mill where the fruit will be processed as fast as you can. And mm. you, you also don't want the fruit to get too warm. So otherwise the fruit will start fermenting and start tasting like olives, which you don't want because we may have some people who like olive oil, but they don't want their olive oil to taste or smell like olives. Same, yeah. And, and, and then you, you, there are things that you can control during processing to, to maximize the antioxidants that would be in the final product. So extra virgin olive oil is just like squeezing the olives and that's what comes out. And then they just like strain out the chunks and that's what extra virgin olive oil is. And then, true or false, does refined mean to heat? What does, like, refined mean? There are multiple steps during refining. Heating is certainly a part of it. And also remove some bad smell, taste in the oil. That's why refined oil tend to have basically no smell or and no taste. And also the color is lighter. So if you look at pure olive oil or other type of refined oil, they tend to be kind of yellowish, but almost pale clear compared to a really fresh extra virgin olive oil that has a nice green hue and that color is removed during refining as well. So, so that's, um, that's what refining does. So refining means that we're heating, we're putting it through several processes, but extra virgin means that that didn't happen. Like, no refining. But if it's pure olive oil or, like, the light kind, then that means a refining process did happen. Yes. What other times does a refining process... Is it anything other than extra virgin olive? Because I feel like I've seen virgin, too, without an extra. So what's that? That's a great question. So virgin is not refined, just like extra virgin that is not refined. But the quality of virgin is slightly lower than that of extra virgin. So it doesn't get extra because the quality is not as good. Do we see these classifications across like all oils? Like is there extra virgin coconut oil or is it this is only like an olive oil universe thing? <laughs> only olive oil is extra like that. What's its like smoke point? And what is a smoke point and why should we care? I think we care a little too much about smoke point. I think it became a really popular thing to talk about because when we watch TV and the chefs on TV will talk about smoke point and then the oil that they would choose to um, accommodate a smoke point of each oil. But in reality, there's a lot more to the oil you should choose other than smoke point for cooking. So for example, extra virgin olive oil actually has a decent small point between 360 to 410 Fahrenheit, which is perfectly fine for normal cooking or baking or even frying. But, but it actually has a lot to do more than small point, And that is oil stability. And extra virgin olive oil is more stable compared to some other refined olive oil because the natural antioxidants that are in the oil. Does that mean that I'm getting all those gorgeous health benefits up until 410? Yes, but temperature is just one thing. The length of cooking time is another. So mm. you don't want to be cooking for, for a long period of time either. 
in order to preserve all the phenolics that are in the oil. Or just like sprinkle some olive oil on top at the end. You can do both. But like, what if I'm baking something at 450? Does that just mean it's going to get a little smokier in there? It won't get smoky, I don't think, if you're baking in the oven. But some of the health-promoting compounds, like antioxidants or uh, phenolics, they they will start breaking down. So you just won't get oh. all the health benefits of an extra virgin olive oil. That you, makes yeah. sense. Tell me about those health benefits. Yeah, so there are these natural class of compounds. They're called phenols or phenolics. They are antioxidants and they're anti-inflammatory. Then they are associated with anti-cancer and other health benefits. So how does it compare to, say, like an avocado oil, a coconut oil, and like a... Like a fish oil. Yeah, so I think the the key difference comes down to that extra virgin olive oil is not refined. There is also unrefined avocado oil, but on the market right now in the U.S., there's mostly refined avocado oil, which has similar fatty acid profile as olive oil, but it doesn't have all the natural antioxidants because they're lost during refining. Coconut oil has a very different fatty acid profile compared to olive oil and avocado oil. Another thing that makes olive oil healthy is the fatty acid profile I mentioned. It's high in oleic acid, which is a monounsaturated fat that's associated with cardiovascular disease prevention and that is also high in, say, avocado oil. So you can also get similar health benefit from avocado oil. And then that compared to oil like soybean oil, that is high in polyunsaturated fats such as linoleic acid. And there's more and more research that shows oxidized linoleic acid found in soybean, for example, um, can lead to neurodegenerative diseases. So that mm. related to aging. So, and, but soybean oil is everywhere. It's the most consumed oil in the country. And it's found in most packaged foods. And it's also widely used in fast food restaurants because mm. it's more affordable and then it's widely available. Um, but we are now realizing that there could be some potential health risks that are associated with oxidized linoleic acid. Mm, no. Oh, so <clears throat> organic. Does it, if it's organic, pure olive oil, do you really care because it was already like heated up anyway? So it does like it probably cooked out any cute stuff from the organic process anyway? Or are you like, what's the tea with organic stuff? Yeah, I have never seen organic pure olive oil. I think if a producer would go through the trouble for all the organic certification, which is a lot, um, they would probably opt for making extra virgin olive oil. So they will make organic extra virgin olive oil, but then that means your farming practice need to meet the requirements mm. and also your processing needs to meet that requirement. And a lot of farmers, olive growers, olive farmers, they don't have a processing facility. So they need to bring their olives to a processing facility that might be processing both organic and conventional olives. So there's less control on that as well. So I think mm. there's a lot more organic grown olives out there than you, you can buy, say, an organic certified bottle of extra virgin olive oil because that process takes a lot of paperwork and a lot of costs. 
So some of it probably is like that grade. It just doesn't have the certification because they like haven't had time or whatever. Right, right. Oh, that's cool. So if you were like Tinder dating oils and you were just like, mm, olive oil is like that one that everybody wants and you would swipe right on olive oil. Or- do we swipe? Well, you would just accept. You would, you would, whatever the accepting way of swiping is. Um, is there anyone else who you're as down for as olive oil? Or is like olive oil like kind of your main squeeze in your research? I know you know more about other ones besides olive oil, but like, is there any other that are like equally as cool or beneficial? Yeah, I am interested in avocado oil that I've been studying, but also maybe some thing like walnut oil or almond oil. Something that may have really good aroma, but they may not be very stable. Um, They may not be as stable as olive oil, so they may not be um, as friendly of a cooking oil as olive oil. But I'm also interested in seeing if there's anything we can do to help the oil to have a really good flavor and also really good stability for cooking. And then if we can make it in a more environmentally friendly way, I think if we can have an oil that's with good flavor, healthy for us and healthy for the environment, then that would be great. Um, I just had pistachio milk for the first time and it was so good. I like, I wonder if pistachios have, cause you said like, are you like, is pistachio like oil cool? Did you like, is that got some cool phenol, pheno? Yeah. I want to say phenobarbital, but I know that's not what it's called. <laughs> you know, some people say polyphenols, phenols, phenolics. Polyphenols. Yes. Yeah. Phenolics. Yeah. Yeah. So Yes, for pistachios, but the oil content is not super high. So you're going to need a lot of pistachios to make pistachio oil. And I don't know if the market is quite there yet because people Mm. may just prefer to eat pistachios. I just didn't know if there was any like cool, like back to olive oil. We're much more, we're obsessed with olive oil. Earlier you asked, why do we... Why do we love olive oil? Why are we obsessed with olive oil? So one is health benefit, but the other is also the taste and the smell, right? Because if you just go buy a bottle of canola oil, no hit for the canola oil, but if you smell and taste it, it doesn't have a lot of smell or taste. Okay, but this one time when I was admittedly blackout, um, it was two in the morning and I had gone to bed after having too much to drink. Then I woke up and I like slept, walk drunk to the kitchen when I, it was like, I was like 22 and I had bought like this apple pie from the grocery store. And so I got it out of the fridge, not really realizing I took a bite out of it with my hand, like grabbed it with my hand. Then I opened what I must've thought was water, but it was really vegetable oil. And I took like the biggest swigs of it, then walked back to my bed. And what woke me up was the crazy taste and like intense pain in my stomach. And so I woke up and I was just like, I was like, oh my God, what is this crazy taste? Like, I don't even know what I've done. And then I went to the bathroom. I got sick for an hour, like the sickest I've ever been in my life. I went back to bed And then it wasn't until the next morning when I saw the apple pie and the open vegetable oil on the kitchen counter that I realized what had happened. So it actually tastes like shit was the moral of the story. Vegetable oil anyway. Yeah. It tasted horrific or it must have been expired or something. I don't know what the deal was. Yeah, it was probably old, which means it's oxidized. And an oil that's oxidized will give you this like greasy mouthfeel and very stale it's very, it's, it's unpleasant. Especially if you have like chugs of it, like in your sleep, kind of like many, many big, big guzzles. It was traumatizing. But anyway, back to the questions. I, I had to share that story. How long have we been obsessed with olive oil? Just like the longest? Yeah. So I think Italians and Greeks have been obsessed for a long time. Um, in terms of where we are in California, in the U.S., the, the production has really accelerated in the last decade or so. Now, when you go to the supermarket, you can buy California-produced olive oil versus before, that was, it wasn't really that much of an option. 
So I think being able to purchase U.S. grown and produce olive oil probably, I don't know, help with our obsession a little bit. Mm. I feel like I've read like news articles before that where it was like those like cool like ant morphs or whatever, like full of what was probably olive oil was discovered in like an unearthed like Pompeii thingy, like an amphora full of olive oil. So it's like, I guess we've just, the reason why the olive oil universe is so intricate is because it's been around for a minute. Yeah, it, it, it really has. And then another sidebar, when did you get so obsessed with olive oil? Because how does one become like a scholar of like food science and olive oil? Yeah, so I actually went to graduate school for my PhD, interested in pharmaceutical and drug design. And as I was about to finish, I realized that instead of focusing on drug development and trying to find cure for diseases, I wanted to focus more on food and the potential health benefits that we can get from our food. So I essentially restarted and moved over to a different department on the same campus and started working on olive oil. And now my research program has expanded to avocado oil, walnuts, almonds, pistachios, tomatoes, all other things that they're really fun to work with. You are minding your own business, going to doctorate school, learning about like pharmaceuticals, like all these compounds, and you like follow your your intuition, your perp, like you like make this other purpose uh, led decision, which is so cool. And then you go in and you switch, and you switch to like food science and food research, which I just think is so cool. And kudos to you for making that change and 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 being so close and just going back and and being like, I'm going to follow this passion. I just think that is so cool. And thank you for sharing that part of your story. So with olive oil, because when we go back to that scenario of being in the grocery store and you're looking at all these things, obviously capitalism, greed, hate it. What is this oil fraud? Because is there oil fraud or like, as you gave an example earlier of like fierce oil fraud, where it's like positive oil fraud, where like you might be getting some, it doesn't say organic, but maybe it was, it just went through a machine that had like non-organic ones. So it's still kind of cute, but it just didn't have the certification. So that's kind of like a shitty for the growers, but cute for the consumer oil fraud. But what's one where they're like, can you ever catch like some faux ass, fake ass, fucking refined ass olive oil, but, you know, and but they're saying it was extra virgin. And is there a litmus test that we can use to catch somebody in a lie? So in the case of olive oil, in this study, I need to say that it was done 10 years ago. So it's very likely the market has improved, but we did collected some oils for from the food service industry. So oil used in restaurants, school cafeterias, and such, and a bottle of pure olive oil that was neon green, by the way. And then we learned earlier that pure olive oil doesn't really have a lot of color due to refining process, remove the colors. And when we analyzed it, it was 70% canola oil mixed in with some artificial chlorophyll. So the producer of this oil knowingly adulterated this oil, but also know, hey, you know, I think the olive oil has a little bit of green coloring. So just let me add some artificial coloring to it. So he not only adulterated, he added something that shouldn't be there. And more recently, my lab has been looking at avocado oil and we have also found some fraud in the avocado oil industry. And there was a case where it was a bottle of extra virgin avocado oil. So no, it should not be refined. And we found it at a local health food store and it was a hundred percent soybean oil. (gasps) So in these cases, 
we we I basically I went out like a typical consumer would and collect these samples and we brought them back to the to the lab and, and analyze them and they have to go through a battery of different tests for us to say all this with confidence so a consumer really wouldn't be able to do this at home so a consumer will rely on standards and regulations however for olive oil many of the standards are not enforced. And for avocado oil, there are not well-established standards yet because it's a newer oil for our country anyway. So it hasn't been studied extensively. So who is the right, is that like USDA? Like who regulates or who creates these like standards? So there are international agencies that work on these standards, United Nations of Food and Agriculture Organizations. And for olive oil, there's International Olive Council. They make standards. However, they really do not enforce them. The only enforceable standard right now in the country is actually in the state of California, where the California growers and processors got together and they agreed that they would impose a mandatory standard to themselves, to anyone who make more than 5,000 gallons a year. So they need to follow a stricter standard so they meet them, but they ensure that their oil is extra virgin. And that is a promise that California olive oil producers are hold themselves accountable. But that only applies to California producers. It does not apply to any imported oils or other oils. So... And in your opinion and in your, well, it's not even your opinion, in your research, you feel, because I'm not even trying to play devil's advocate because, honey, I am too tired to play devil's advocate, but I will say this. I can hear, like, rabid Republicans in my psyche because I grew up around so many of them being like, well, I don't give a fuck if it's, like, why should I care? But it's really important to know what it is you're buying because there are, they're really... There is more, well, I guess I'm telling myself this, so let me ask you, what are, just to really get into the reasons why it is so important to know what extra virgin olive oil is versus virgin and versus like a a pure, because what is that extra added level of benefit? Or is it better to just know because we should know what we're buying, regardless of the benefits? Yes, that's a a real motivation behind my work, right? It's I feel the responsibility to protect consumers, but also protect honors producers. There are 3 million people's livelihoods are depending on the olives they grow, they sell, and the olive oil they make, and they sell. And because of the adulteration, it has really make it impossible to know what a fair price should be. And, and I think that is, that is a, that's, that's a real problem, right? And, yeah. and, and that's why I do this work. And then I do this work so that consumers can know and they can demand that they want to have more transparency in our food system system in our food products. So my lab work on develop, helping to develop standards and then so we can so we can move forward and have less fraud. And and I think olive oil is an easy target because the demand is so high and mm. the production is unstable um, due to climate change and also just various reasons. So when the production cannot meet the demand and it's also a high value product. It's really the perfect storm for food fraud. Mmm. Yes. You mentioned earlier about like climate change and how in California, like in like the last decade or so, we started to grow more olives here 
in the U.S. Um, how is climate change affecting the production of olives, the availability of olive oil? Are the olive producers in other countries like, fuck off, California, we had like a really good thing going, and now like y'all are just all up in our supply and demand thing? Like, what's that whole story about? Yeah, so olive trees are alternate bearing, meaning that they tend to produce a lot in one year, and then the following year will be a smaller crop, and it alternates. And the farmers are experienced with this, and there are things that they can do every year to accommodate this alternate bearing. And what they're not used to is the swinging weather pattern that we've been having. And now things are really unpredictable for for farming. And it's not just for olive growers, it's for all the farmers. And in California, we also have to worry about the drought and we also have to worry about wildfires. And so that is that is a significant concern for a lot of farmers. And I think what we're going to start seeing is that olives may start thriving in some places that we didn't grow olives before. And perhaps the countries and the places where olives has been traditionally grown, they may need to make some changes because that's what the nature is is telling us. But I think globally, we're all experiencing some difficulties. And that's part of the cause for this unstable production that we're experiencing for olive oil. I imagine that this is a very, very, uh, can be a very profitable industry, especially if we get into something where there's like scarcity due to climate change, of scarcity due to like the supply. And then you were saying earlier that part of your work is driven by wanting to not only help consumers, but also help people who are honest, um, you said honest growers. I love that term. Producers. Yes, queen. Yes. I love that word. Um, So yeah, honest producers. So how do we help the people that are producing it? How do we make it more fair and equitable? And where are the places where you think they're going to start thriving? (laughs) Those are all great questions. I think, I think, so if I go back for one step, if we look at an olive fruit, Oil is only about 20% of what's in an olive, Mm. meaning we're not actually using the 80% of the fruit when we are making olive oil. So I think one way to be more sustainable in the production, but also for the industry to bring in more profit is really finding valuable use for this 80% of material that is not in the olive oil. And that's an area of research my lab has been working on for the last decade. And because you can imagine, we t- we've been talking about phenolics, right? Phenolics in the oil, but there is so much phenolics that's in this 80% of byproduct because there's a lot of phenolics that are not oil soluble. So they're not in the oil, they're in this byproduct. And we've been working on extract out these important compounds in the byproduct and try to use them in different places, such as cosmetics in industry. And you may have seen there's some cosmetic product that has olive oil or olive derived ingredients. And also, can we use it in other food additives? Also, can we use it for animal feed? Oh, yeah, they probably like olives. I bet our chickens would love olives and our dogs. Yeah, yeah. And and if, if there is anti-tumor properties related in, in these byproducts, so that could be a really great thing for pet food as well. And we're also interested in the possibility of using olive pumice as a fee for kettles as a way to re- reduce their greenhouse gas emission. 
oh my God, because giving them like a rich antioxidant diet would like help them like fart less methane and poop less methane from like gr- than like grass and whatever else they eat and That's corn. It. That's can we can we help with their gut health so that they will fart less and burp less. That's that's the goal. And at UC Davis, we have cows on campus that we will be feeding them for these studies. What about like olive byproduct plastic? Could you make it like a blanket or like a fierce like like dry it out and make like olive leather? You could, but we have to consider the energy input. Right. Oh. When we think about these, I know I love the idea, but a lot of times when we talk about about these byproducts usages, we end up putting more energy into it. So I'm not going to get to have olive-based pleather pants, is what you're saying. If you can do it without using much energy, maybe. I'm tired just saying the sentence, so I feel like I don't... So so that's so interesting that... so. It's really figuring out, like, what to do with this other 80% of the plant... Uh, and that's, and, and that's, so what's next for your research? Is that a lot of where the research is going into, or is there like what other, like what other fierce things are you like watching out for as a stunning like food science and technology doctor? I think sustainability is really important. And we talk about making use of byproducts. And also I would like to encourage consumers to think more about packaging as well. Right. So there's these bagging box wine and I would love to see more bagging box olive oil. And I would really love if the consumers would give it a chance because bagging box is actually a great way to protect oil from getting oxidized. And it's also more environmental friendly compared to glass. But because the consumers have been so accustomed to certain type of packaging. It might take a while, but I would love for all of us to think more about sustainable packaging as well. And as far as for my lab, we the mission for my lab is really simple, not easy, but it's working together with the food and agriculture sector to ensure that we have good food quality, food authenticity, and sustainability. And for me personally, I would love to continue to work together with a diverse group of scientists in a more equitable, just, and inclusive learning environment. Mm. To that end, what does more thoughtful production and consumption of olive oil look like? I think the farmers need to have more tools where we can pay more attention to soil health. And and then it comes to processors to be more environmentally conscious about what to do with the byproducts and packaging and for the consumers to, to... be more aware of the products that they're purchasing. It takes a lot of work and effort and time and money to make high quality extra virgin olive oil. So it's really impossible to purchase a 500 ml bottle with $10 because that really does not correlate with the cost that we will go into the production. But at the same time, I realized not everyone has the resources to buy really expensive extra virgin olive oil. And this is what I do when I go into the grocery store. I look for harvest day or bottling day. You want to buy an oil that is as fresh as possible. The oil start degrade after it's made. It's never going to get better. So do not buy a bottle of olive oil and then save it for a special occasion. The oil is just going to degrade. And if it doesn't have a harvest date or a bottling date, look for a best before date. And you want to have the best before date that is at least a year out. And mm. once you purchase the oil, bring it into your house, you want it to store in a cool, dark place because 
the oil has three enemies that are um, oxygen and light and heat. So you wanted to keep the oil away from, from these factors. So you wanted to stay in a cool and dark place. And once the bottle is open, then you need to use up the oil as fast as you can, maybe in a matter of a month or two. So for a lot of us that we buy a nice bottle of oil, we wanted to save it. But in reality, the antioxidants, the phenolics, they start degrading over time. So if we wanted to really get in all the health benefits in the oil, we need to eat it up. Mm, what else? Is there any other thing where it's like, put that shit down, do not buy it? I probably wouldn't buy oil that doesn't have a best before date. That's a little bit of a red flag. If you're a really caring producer, you would want to protect your consumers as well as yourself. I think as a consumer, it's it can be really confusing to, to shop around in the store. So what I would do is to learn the the smell of freshness so like earlier we talked about if you you go home you you buy you have your bottle of olive oil you pour into a little cup and you smell you should smell like freshness green fruity smell and it should not smell rinsed or stale or very greasy Right. Or feeling. So you should not smell like that. And then you can you can decide what you like. There's when you go to the store now, some extra virgin olive oil, you can buy robust or mild or medium. There are different terms. There's a lot of prefixes that are um, attached to these bottles of oil. And you can learn what you like. Is robust like from a more purpley olive, so it's like older, so it like really tastes like olivey. What the makes opposite. it robust? The, oh, the opposite. Yeah, so the robust is made from the green, the greener fruit, so they tend to be more bitter and more pungent. So meaning like the flavor is more robust, and then if it's mild, that means it's it's usually a later harvest, not super late, but a later harvest. So the flavor is more mild. It has likely lower in antioxidants, but that could be a better oil, say for baking, right? Because you may not want something that's very bitter and very pungent in your olive oil brownies. So, so you can, you can learn the flavor of the oil and, and then choose your cooking with it. So if someone's been listening to this like episode of Getting Curious and they're like, oh my fucking God, I want to be a food scientist just like Selena Wonga. You are a woman in science and that is so important to have women in science. And I think another part of your story that I think is really interesting is that you were so close to having your PhD done in a like three blocks away fields. Like it still was about researching compounds, but like a really different kind. Like that's like thinking you wanted to go to, I was going to make a comparison with like nails and hair, but there's no comparison because our school is like not nearly as long as yours. So what's your advice to people who maybe think that they want to make a career shift or they want to get into science and or just like the casual fan of like food science and technology? Yeah, that's a big question. I think getting curious is a first step. I think being curious about everything that's around us and ask as many questions as possible is a first step. And not just about the food that we eat, but also about ourselves, right? So what kind of things we like to do and and then explore. I, I That's what I tell my students is um, they have the time to to explore we're they're young we're young so we 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 should take our time to to explore and learn and relearn sometimes what i i really i when i went to graduate school for my phd i thought exactly that's what's what i was gonna do so not i also went in with a mindset that for sure i was going to be working in industry 
when people ask, what did you want to do with your PhD? My answer was anything but in academia. And that turned out to be where I am now. And I love <laughs> it. But it's, it's really a lot of it is to rethink and relearn and, and stay open and have a lot of kind of open-hearted conversations with other people and ourselves. That was really impactful and probably will be where we end. I feel really complete. I am so grateful for your time and for sharing your expertise with us and your scholarship. I also want to interview you again and have you back. You are just amazing. This has been so fun. But is there anything that we missed or you want to make sure that we have in that episode or like sometimes I do like a yogi recess where at the end like you just let the guests say anything that they want to say or that we maybe missed but I'm feeling really complete and I'm feeling just amazing about this episode but if there's anything that you want to add this is your gorgeous moment so one thing that's because of this format that I am sad that I'm not able to show you is an actual olive oil making process and I would love it if if you come to Northern California and then we can, we can meet again and then pick olives and make it into oil, taste the oil and analyze the oil. We'll do all ah, that together. Your lips to God's ears that we get a season two somewhere. And I very much hope that we do. And I would love to meet you in real life and go pick olives. I've never heard of a more fun idea in my literal life. I will love that. Our students will love that. Ah, Dr. Selena Wong, thank you so much for your time and for your energy. We appreciate you so much for coming on Getting Curious. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. Our guest this week was Professor Selena Wong. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thanks so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and please show them how to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. We keep up on our past guests, things that we're looking out for, things that are coming up. It's a very fun place. We love at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are run and curated by Middle Seat Digital. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Zara Krim.